why we're, um, you're grabbing your Bible and turning to Second Peter or First Peter, chapter two. I know that uh, we're uh, what the time is in case anybody's worried about that. But that's not the kind of church that we are. Can I just say that out loud? That anybody's going to be bothered if we go a little bit over. Uh, we're not going to be that kind of church. I'm going to step in at week eight and say that. Um, like we want to hear about these things rather than to get to Luby's because Luby's is going to be there. But we had an opportunity today um, to celebrate what God is doing around the world with um, the fatherless. And so um, we're going to go to First Peter. But I have in mind what time it is so you don't have to worry in case anybody was worried about that. But that's not the kind of church we're going to be so... So 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just going to lay a question on the table this morning. It's a really simple question. But it's one of those questions that you, you shouldn't answer right away because you want to think about it to make sure that your answer is, really f- reflects what you feel and think. And the question is, if suddenly you found everything and everyone against you, Would you still believe in Jesus? If everything and everyone was against you, would you still be as committed to Jesus as you are today? Would you still praise Jesus? Would you still sing? Would you still show up on Sunday mornings if suddenly everything and everyone was against you? Because what we said last week, if you remember, just building on it, is that you have attached the name of Jesus to your life. Now, you may not have even mean to do that, but you have attached the name of Jesus to your life. When you said to somebody, I'm going to church, or I'm a Christian, or would you come to church with me, which hopefully you're doing on a regular basis, inviting people to come with you, because this is a good place to invite people to. Or, or you said something about Jesus, or a conversation came up. You have attached Jesus' name to your life. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus' name is a lightning rod. It's kind of controversial. In fact, we see that in the Word of God, not just our own experience. Uh, we've already seen it in First Peter chapter 2 when it says that Jesus is the cornerstone. You remember that from a few weeks ago? And our choice is either we'll build our lives on Him, or the Scripture says we'll stumble over Him. We'll trip over him. So really, people only have two options with Jesus. They can build their lives on him or they can trip and stumble over him. You can't go around him. You can't ignore him. You got to make a choice and you've attached his name to you. Second Corinthians chapter two uh, says that you, the Christ in you, um, is the fragrance of life, the scent of life to those who are being saved, meaning those who believe in Jesus and are going to believe in Jesus. Um, we smell like life to them, but to those who are perishing, meaning those who are rejecting Jesus will continue to reject Jesus. We smell like death to them. And so he's kind of controversial and you have attached your name, his name to you, which means at some point in time, if it's not already happened, the values that come with following Jesus will collide with the values of the culture around us. And it can result in awkwardness, anger, and in some places, aggression. And we've all experienced the awkwardness when the Jesus bomb comes up and it just gets weird. It happens to me all the time because uh, I'll be talking with somebody at like a birthday party or just out at the Home Depot or whatever, having a conversation. It's always a man, and that man is always filling up the conversation with colorful adjectives and adverbs and nouns. And, you know, whatever. That's fine. I understand. And, um, and so they're filling it up with 
all kinds of language. And then always, just right after, the millisecond after they let the biggest piece of language out, they go, so what do you do? (laughs) And I say, well, I'm a pastor. And then it just gets weird. And I want to say, like, listen, I'm cool. I'm an adult. I I live in 2011. Whatever. Don't feel bad. Don't be awkward. But it's always awkward. And you've experienced that, too. Somebody's talking about, like, how awful Christians are, how awful the church is, how bad they were hurt. And they're like, so what are you doing on Sunday? Well, I'm going to church. Not that kind of church, but I'm going to a different kind of church. It's just awkward. And you've been in those moments. Maybe you've even been in a moment where it turned up. It was more than awkward. It, It got angry. You know, some kind of hot issue came up, abortion, sexual ethics, freedom of religion, something like that. And it wasn't just an awkward conversation. There was some heat to the conversation. You know, and it's a sibling and and they think you're telling them how to live because you're trying to live this one way and they're trying to live another way. And they're like, quit judging me. Why are you judging me all the time? Just mind your own business. You've been in that moment where it wasn't just awkward, it got angry. And they're probably not most of our experiences, but there's some places in the world right now where it's more than awkward and angry. There's aggression there. And people right now, Christians who have attached the name of Jesus to their lives in places like Egypt, China, Iran, Iraq, Indonesia, they are going to suffer today because the values of following Jesus collide with the values of the culture that they live in. But what if, what if that was a reality for you? What if you found in your life everything and everyone seemed to be against you? Would you and I still follow Jesus? That's the question on the table in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you look at verse 11, this is where we were last week. I just want to remind you that he calls them aliens and temporary residents. So remember, uh, this earth is not our final home. The way this earth is now, this culture that we're living in, we're just living in a vapor. Uh, Our lives are like a vapor. And remember what we said last week, we don't want to drill foundations down into a vapor, right? But we've got foundations in a city that's to come that where God is the builder and the architect. So our moment right here, it's a temporary moment. And so he says this in verse 13, Submit to every human institution because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So he encourages these Christians living in what is now northern Turkey to submit to the government and the governing Authorities. Now, I know that we live in Texas, and in Texas, you don't tell people what to do with their money, their guns, or their politics. I get that, right? But the Bible was written before Texas, and it will be around after Texas, and it doesn't really care where you live. And it says that we should submit, meaning we should willingly bring ourselves under the authority of the governing powers that we are under. Now, that's a big thing for him to ask them to do. Because he says to submit to the emperor. Um, now, if you go with a traditional dating of First Peter, that means Nero is the emperor. And you have maybe heard some things about Nero. A couple of things you need to know about Nero, who was the emperor of Rome during this time when First Peter was written, is A, Nero was crazy. Just straight up crazy. There's no other way to describe it. The man was Looney Tunes. He was crazy. He murdered his wife. He murdered his mother. He was so egocentric and maniacal that the Roman Empire revolted against him and removed him from power. So he was crazy. 
The other thing that you need to know about Nero is he was hostile towards Christians, hostile to people like you, people like me. Um, Rome caught on fire around this time, and we we don't know why it caught on fire. Maybe it was a reason like the reason Chicago caught on fire years ago, or London caught on fire years ago. We don't know why it caught on fire, but sometimes when natural disasters happen, what do we do? We blame the person in charge. Even though it wasn't really their fault, they do something that makes us angry at them, and that happens even in our country today. And so that's exactly what the people of Rome did. They started blaming Nero for this fire, and Nero didn't want to to receive the blame. So what does he do? He starts looking around to see who he could pass the blame onto, and he saw the Christians. The Christians were weird. They had these odd practices of meeting together and breaking bread and saying it was the body of Jesus and drinking this cup and saying it was the blood of Jesus. They were weird, they were odd, they were different, and they were a minority. So he knew nobody would care if we blamed the Christians, and so he started blaming the Christians And so he ends up leading this great persecution against Christians. So he was crazy. He was hostile to the people that Peter is writing this letter to. And the third thing is he was worshipped as a god. Um, Remember, this is a a polytheistic culture. And so there were a lot of gods out there, a lot of options to, to worship. And the emperor was one of the things that people would regularly worship. They believed that their emperors, the Caesars, were more than just men. And Peter is asking them to submit, to willingly bring themselves under his authority. A man who was insane, a man who was hostile to them, and a man who thought he was God. And they should submit. Verse 14. Or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do evil. So it's not just Nero, it's all of his governors that work for him. And here's the role of the government designed by God, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So the government's job is to restrain evil and encourage good. Verse 15, For it is God's will that you, by doing good, silence the ignorance of foolish people. You remember from last week that, um, that the Christians that Peter is writing to, they're being accused of all, all kinds of things that they didn't do because they, their values clashed with the culture around them. And he's saying, listen, if you are good citizens, that will help when people accuse you. There will be some favor for you there. Verse 16, as God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. So he's reminding them, first, we are God's slaves. We are God's servants. We're not Nero's servants first. We're not the governor's servants first. We're God's servants first. And we want to use our freedom not to do evil, but to do good. Verse 17, honor everyone. That means everyone. That means the owner of the restaurant and the waiter at the restaurant. That means um, the person um, who is the richest person in Houston and the poorest person in Houston. Our job is to honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, meaning love the other believers here. Fear God, meaning revere God, worship God. Don't worship Nero. He's just a man. Don't worship the government, just men and women. Worship God, but honor the emperor. Now, there are some ways that we are like these first Christians, and there are some ways that we're different. Uh, We are alike in their situation in the sense that sometimes we can find ourselves at odds with the power structure around us. I read a story in a magazine a few weeks or months ago about a couple in California who was hosting a Bible study in their home. 
just like we do with our community groups every week. And so they would have people over to their home and they would do Bible study. Well, the city found out about it and they, the city came to them and said, you can't do that because you are acting as a church. That's a religious institution. This is a residential zone. So you can't have church here. And they said, we're not having church here. We're just having some friends over. And then we just happen to be studying the Bible. And they said, we don't care. And we're going to fine you until you stop. And these people, they were, I guess, rich. I don't know. But they said, we're going to keep meeting. We don't care. And last I knew, they kept on meeting with their Bible study. Now, maybe there's been an update. And the city kept on finding them. So there are certain situations and circumstances where we could literally find ourselves at odds with the government, with the power structure around us. So think about like the media. The media is very powerful. It's a power structure in our culture. It's a part of the system, right? Think about how they, they usually, not always, but usually portray Christians. It's always one-dimensional, right? right? Either the person is really good or the person is a hypocrite or the person is really shallow or the person is um, backwards and prude or the person is judgmental. It's always a one-dimensional picture that we get from the media. And so there are some ways that the system can be against us. The power structure can be against us just like it was for these guys. But then there's a lot of ways that it's different. Um, like we would not compare our situation with theirs. We wouldn't say, oh, it's, it's so hard to be a believer in 2011 in the United States of America next to them saying it's so hard to be a believer in Asia Minor in the first century. They're not on the same scale. So we won't always want to be careful with any kind of woe is me. I'm a Christian in America. We are incredibly privileged. But there are some of our brothers and sisters in the family of God who have the same situation as them. And so he's asking them in their situation and context, and he's asking us in our situation and context to submit, meaning willingly bring ourselves under the authority, meaning we should obey the governing authorities around us. And listen, most of us don't have a problem with that, right? I mean, most of us understand that no matter who you vote for in the past election or the upcoming election, if your party didn't get in, you shouldn't murder somebody, right? How many of you know that you shouldn't murder somebody if your party doesn't get elected? Right? We get that. We understand that. No matter who the president is, no matter who our congressman or congresswoman is, no matter who our governor is, we should follow the law. We should obey. Most of us get that. But hey, 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 there's a harder thing here. Honor the emperor. Well, okay, I, Curtis, I get it. Pastor Curtis, I get it. I get it. I get what it's saying. We're supposed to obey. I get that. We're supposed to honor. I, I'm hearing that. And I would honor our governing authorities if they were honorable. I would honor them if they deserved honor. You think Nero, who was a crazy murderer of Christians who was worshipped as a god, was honorable? You think that the Christians thought, you know what, that's a really honorable guy. I think I'm going to honor him right now. No. Okay, well, I would. I would honor. I understand I'm supposed to honor the government. I understand what they're saying, but I just disagree with everything they stand for. I just disagree with everything. It's just a walking disagreement. Every time they come on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, did I get everybody's group, right? Um, I just disagree with everything that they say. 
Listen, look at me. You think that these believers agreed with Nero who murdered their own brothers and sisters, who was so insane that he would take Christians and wrap them in wax and use them as candles at his party. Do you think they agreed with him? Do you think they agreed with the other emperors who would take the Christians and put them in the Colosseum to see them eaten by bears, lions, and tigers just for the sport of the Roman Empire? Do you think they agreed with that? Of course they didn't. You know why God wants us to submit? You know why God wants us to honor even though we disagree? And listen, there's a way to disagree with respect. There's a way to disagree with honor. You know why God wants us to honor everyone, including those in charge? Because dishonor never looks good on the people of God. Ever. No matter how much you disagree, no matter how vehemently you disagree, dishonor never looks good on you. Because you attached the most honorable name of all to your life. And he wants us to submit, and not just submit, but honor those who are in charge of us. And then he goes on, and we'll just breeze through this. There's so much here, but I don't want to be super late. Verse 18, household slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor. If because of conscience toward God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you endure when you sin and are beaten? But when you do good and suffer, if you endure, it brings favor with God. So he's essentially saying the same things that he was saying to everyone about the the governing structure around him. Now he's speaking to household slaves. Now, um, anytime we talk about slavery in the New Testament, sometimes a question comes up, and it's a really good question. Why doesn't Peter here just like condemn slavery? Obviously, slavery is awful in every form. Why doesn't he just condemn it? Why doesn't he encourage the people that he's writing to to revolt, run away, all those kinds of things? And that's a really good question, and there's a lot of detailed arguments and and explanations for that. But there are three things I just want you to remember. Remember, um, the the Bible... was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he inspired real men writing to real people about real things. So the Bible didn't just, you know, fall out of the sky one day in a church. You know, like, my Bible doesn't just, like, drop down on this stand every week, right? The Bible didn't just appear suddenly from beginning to end. The Holy Spirit used real men to write to real people in real situations. And so Peter is writing, he's a real man, writing to real people, uh, Christians in what is now Turkey, um, in a real situation. And one of those situations is they had slaves in their church. Now this word for slaves, it's a a word for like household slaves. That's why my Bible translated it that way. It means that these aren't the slaves like out in the field or the slaves necessarily like in a a brick factory somewhere. These are slaves who have a, a role in the home, a day-to-day role in the home. And he's encouraging them to, to submit because it's their real uh, situation. Um, also, it's important to remember um, that Christianity at the time was a very small movement. It was very small compared to the population of the world. Today, we have an incredible amount of influence thankfully, under the favor of God. But at this time, it was brand new and a very large thing. So probably in their minds, they didn't think they could, could influence the whole Roman Empire on an issue like slavery. So he's just writing again to these real people in this real situation. And this is unbelievable. They have slaves that come to their church. 
And look what he, how he referred to those slaves, because those slaves are a part of the church uh, up uh, earlier in verse 16. As God's slaves live as free people. So he's encouraging these slaves, these servants, to live as free people because in Christ they're free. So these slaves are members of their church. And next week, when we get to chapter 3, we're going to see that there's actually some really wealthy people probably in their church. So imagine that. You've got some of the most wealthy people in the city and some of the poorest people in the city worshiping together as one family. Is that not beautiful? Is that not what we want to be here? We want every person whether they're rich or poor, poor or rich, middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, lower, lower middle class. We want every person to feel like I can call this place home and I will be accepted no matter what. We don't cater to the rich. We don't cater to the poor. We just cater to people. And if you're a person, you're welcome here. That's what we want to say. And that's the way this church was. And so Peter's writing to this real people, these real people who are slaves, saying something very basic and global about slavery is not going to be that helpful to them in this moment. And so he encourages them to submit and be honorable with their masters. And um, just for time's sake, we won't, we won't dive into that the way I would like to. But verse 21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Now we're going to come back to verse 21 in just a second. Verse 22. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That means Jesus, he was sinless. He was pure. He was righteous. That's in comparison with us. I'm sinful. You are sinful. We are unrighteous. We are impure. That's why Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus didn't fall short. He was pure. He was righteous. He was holy. He was sinless. Verse 23, when reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffering, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges justly. So when Jesus was being falsely accused, when Jesus was being beaten, when he was being mocked, when he was on the cross, he didn't say anything. He didn't defend himself. He didn't fight back. He just committed himself to God who he knew would judge justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body. On the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounding, you have been healed. That means the pure, sinless Jesus goes to the cross, which he did not deserve, and on the cross, he exchanged with us our sinfulness, our impurity, our unrighteousness, and he took that and he wore it like a coat on his body. And because he did that, he put to death sin and its hold on us. And now an exchange can happen with us. When you place your faith in Jesus, he's already paid the penalty for your sin. He's already borne your sin on the cross. But he takes that away and he gives you his life, his righteousness. And you can stand before God clean, pure, holy because of Jesus. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Meaning that all of us were born wandering away from God. Our sin has taken us away from God. There's a separation there, but in Jesus we can come home 
in Jesus, you can come and be a part of the fold. You can come and be a part of the flock. You can come and be a part of the family in Jesus. So just a really simple question I'd love to, for you to answer, just in your, your own, the privacy of your own heart, is am I still a sheep that's, where sin has taken me far away? Am I still apart from God in my sin? Or have I put my faith in Jesus and found my home with the shepherd? It's easy. I mean, it's incredibly hard. You have to die to yourself, but it's easy. It's admitting your sin and that your sin was against God. Not just against the person you lied to, but your sin was against God. My sin was against God. And it's in believing in Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God as the way for us, the door that forgiveness comes to us. And committing your life, confessing Jesus as your Lord from this moment on. And so I would love if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not done. We're breaking all the rules today, taking an offering at a weird time and the bow your head thing at a weird time. But if you could just close your eyes with me, I just want to give everyone an opportunity. And if you're here this morning and you feel like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm a sheep. That sin has taken me far away. I'm apart from God, but I want to be with God. I want to be clean. I want to be right in his sight. And you can say this with me, making it your prayer. You can say it in your own words, however you want to do that. But Jesus, I admit my sin. And I admit my sin was against you. But I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in your life, death, and resurrection. And I receive the forgiveness that comes through you, Jesus. And I commit my life to you. I confess you, Jesus, from this moment moving forward. Amen. If you prayed that with me or you prayed something like that or you made that your own, I would love for you to do two things. A, I'd love you to tell the person you came with, the person who invited you. And then I would love for you to come and tell me, one of our prayer and ministry team, because we want to celebrate with you, because you just um, were born again. You were dead in your sins, and you became alive. That's what the Bible says. And when you came alive, heaven threw, throw a party, throws a party in your honor. And we want to throw a party here in your honor, too. And so the best way for you to do that is to let me know, because I can't throw a party for you if I don't know that you were dead and now you're alive, or that you weren't born and now you're born again. So please come and tell me, because that's the greatest thing. So when you come and tell me, or when you come and tell one of our ministry team, they're going to tell you about when they believed in Jesus and how they came to faith. And we'll celebrate together. But verse 21, and this is where we'll end. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow so that you should follow in his steps. Now that word example, it's a Greek word that was used uh, to describe children tracing over letters of the alphabet so they could learn to write the letters of the alphabet. Now, we have a son, Jackson, he's five, and so we're like living in the tracing and the letters, right? And so, um, you know, he was awful when he started. I'll say that. I mean, he's my son, and he's great at everything. He's the best. But he was awful when he first started writing. But he kept getting better and better and better and better. And so that's the word for Jesus as our example. So what are you tracing your life on? What is the pattern that you have held up and said, this is what I want my life to be like? Because everybody's got something.
None of us are originals. As much as we would like to believe so, none of us are originals. You're holding somebody or something up and saying, I want my life to be just like that. Who is it? Because Jesus is our example. So that you should follow in his steps. So there are three things I want to say. I'd love for you to write this down. One, you've got to see the example. This is where we're going. See the example. You've got to see Jesus if you're going to trace your life around him. See, when Jackson went to learn how to write, we didn't just say, Jackson, what do you think an A looks like? Well, just write it down. Oh, yeah, that looks beautiful. Jackson, what do you think a Z looks like? Write it down. Yeah, that's great. Just go with that. No, we showed him what an A and B and C and Z looked like over and over and over and over and over again long before he ever picked up a pencil. And then when he finally did pick up a pencil, the A was right there. The Z was right there. You've got to see the example. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to see Jesus, which means you've got to go to the Word of God. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to make this a habit. You've got to make this a life choice. You've got to make this something that you do and never miss because it's the Word of God, and the Word of God needs to live inside of you. You've got to see the example. Number two, you've got to find His steps. You've got to find the steps. That's what it says. So you should follow in his steps. Now that verse, um, that verse inspired a book called In His Steps. It's a, it's a great book. It's a classic. Uh, it's a fictional story set in uh, like the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I'm not good with dates, uh, but a long time ago. And um, it's about a group of people in this small town who decide that they're going to try to follow Jesus in everything, in their business, in their relationships, everything. And it's what inspired, that book inspired what would Jesus do? How many of you had a what would Jesus do bracelet? Can I see? Yeah. Did everybody, I mean everybody. You should have had a what would Jesus do bracelet back in the day, I think. We matured past that. I don't, I don't want to ask, but anybody still rocking the WWJD bracelet? No, because I think we got too cool for it, right? Like we matured past it. But you shouldn't ever mature past asking yourself in every situation, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus have me do in this situation? So whatever you find yourself doing in that moment, find the steps of Jesus. If you feel like everything and everyone is coming against you, power structures coming against you, those in authority over you, which is kind of the slave servant thing, those in authority over you are coming against you, find the steps of Jesus in that situation. When you're having a conflict with your sibling, find the steps of Jesus. When you're having a conflict with somebody at work, find the steps of Jesus. When somebody's hurt your feelings, have, find the steps of Jesus. When you're mad at somebody, find the steps of Jesus. When you don't know what to do, find the steps of Jesus. See the example, find the steps, and number three, follow the steps. Follow steps. In the first half of the book, Acts, the Christians are called the people of the way. Capital W A. Why? You know why they were called the people of the way? Because they went the way of Jesus. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to be. You want people to say, you know that guy, he's, he's neat. It's kind of weird, but he's neat. But he, he's different. Well, why is he different? Because he says he's following the way of Jesus. And the way of Je Jesus is different than the way of the culture sometimes. But we want to be people of the way. And we want to follow Jesus. No matter what. So this week, no matter what happens to you. Whether it seems like everyone is for you or everyone is against you. Whether it seems like situations are, are, are stacked 
in your favor or they've stacked against you. You follow Jesus and you make him your example and trace your life around him and follow in his steps. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you did leave an example for us to follow and we, we just ask God that you would help us to follow Jesus even when things are even when things are tough, when it's not working out well and things are not going well, just give us the perseverance to continue to endure. And I pray that we would be people who show honor this week. To everyone, we would show honor. And we want to follow you in that way, Jesus. So seal up your word. Inspire us according to your word. Fan into flame what you've put in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.